Well, hello and good morning, everyone. It is uh, Wednesday, December the 1st, 2021, and uh, we are here with Monday Main Point. Welcome uh, into the room with us. I am Jonathan Hendrickson, the associate pastor here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church, and I am joined by my uh, comrades here, uh, Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, and Blake Flincham, our children's pastor. Our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, who normally does this podcast with us, is unavailable right now due to an uh, injury he sustained, and our prayers are with him, obviously, and uh, we hope to have him back as soon as we can. But until then, you got the three of us, and so uh, we are entering in now to the Christmas season. Uh, I'm like you, Jeremiah. Christmas is like my one of my favorite times of year. I, I love Christmas. I mean, I, fall is my favorite season. I, I really enjoy like the leaves turning and all that kind of stuff, but, but Christmas... There's just something special about Christmas, and I know, I know, as Christians, like we should, we should probably celebrate Easter more than we celebrate Christmas if we're being real honest about it. But both of those are landmark events because of what happens on on either end, right? Um, one ushers in this kingdom, uh, ushers in the, the coming King, and the other one ushers in His kingdom in, in many yeah. ways, right? And I would argue that uh, Easter doesn't happen unless Christmas happens. Right. I mean, you so can't. Some, <laughs> some theologians say that, you know, the incarnation is 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 the not the linchpin. That's Easter, right? But, right. But like, none of the rest of this matters unless God becomes human. So yeah, yeah. The incar- I mean, Christmas is is j- just as pivotal yeah. to our faith. It really is. It really is. Well, what's funny about that though is that when you think about it, like we we talk about. Um, you know, oh, we should be preaching Easter messages every Sunday. Yeah. Well, we should. I mean, resurrection is the, like you said, just a minute ago, resurrection is the linchpin of, yeah. of, of Christian faith. But, you know, we, we look at Christmas and go, oh, that's a Christmas message, right? <laughs> you say, save that for when it gets cold and snowy outside. <laughs> right. But the truth is, you're right. The incarnation is something we should probably be like, we shouldn't just reserve just for December. Yeah. Um, now, every message can be a Christmas message. Yeah, it really, it really can. Like I, I, I think, um, but you know, this time of year, especially, we turn as pastors. We, you know, yeah. we're going to turn to those passages that we know really well that sort of focus in on, on Christmas and the incarnation. And so uh, that's what you did this past week. Um, so took from um, took your text from Matthew two, uh, and looked at the entirety of that. And I actually like the way you you, you did that. Sometimes um, this is this little bit of preacher speak here. Sometimes you, when you're doing a message, you you're looking at um, you're looking at just a couple of verses in particular. You know, you're especially if you're if you're dealing with something like from one of the Old Testament prophets or um, or, or something along those lines. There's not really a story to per se. It's more of a teaching moment, like especially if you're looking at a psalm or proverb or something like that. So then you you're sort of you're just digging deep into what's being said in this moment. But then there are some passages you run across that are clearly narratives, that are stories. And those are a lot of fun to to tackle because they sort of they sort of lay themselves out if you if if you if you do you know if you just go straight down straight down verse by verse, and that's exactly what you did with this. I mean, this is a great story. It's a great narrative, um, and you looked at the entirety of that narrative, and I I really enjoyed it. It was a, a good message. So, um, wise men worship the king is the title of the sermon, and I'm just going to look at the main idea of your message again. Um, 
and <laughs> because I'm still I'm still laughing at the misspelling here on that slide. <laughs> yeah, but like you can tell, tell them. Tell oh, okay. Them so okay. that they know what's going right, on. Right, right, right. So, so um, in the notes, you said in your notes you didn't do this. So yeah. I, I know I know you spell better than yeah. this. Normally, normally for these things, we've got. So I'm looking at my screen for those of you who are just listening. I'm looking at my screen and it's got all the all the slides from from Sunday's message and I'm just you know looking over it and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm that way I can go back and look and see exactly what you know what was said and what the main points were and stuff and so I'm looking at the slide and I normally I'm normally the guy who creates these yeah but um, Jeremiah and Blake are both really cool about just like hey man I'm preaching I, I've got enough computer savvy I can do this myself I'll put my own stuff in I'm like oh that's cool that's fine um, and I, I appreciate that um, but anyway, so Jeremiah, you, you, you did your own slides, and the uh, the one here for main idea, the message is like, Jesus' birth went, which I, I think birth went is a new word. <laughs> like there's no space between birth and went. Yeah. So Jesus' birth went exactly how the scripture said it, and I think this should be wood, but it's spelled W-U-L-T. <laughs> so it's missing its O. So it's more exactly how the scripture said it. Wold, and yet many people missed it. So, but uh, It made me feel better about my English. <laughs> I loved it. That's great. <laughs> That's great. But anyway, so, but in all this, Jesus' birth went exactly how the scripture said it would, and yet many people missed it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's sort of the main idea of this text, right? It, um, uh, there's a lot of prophecy and in, in, that's dealt with in, in in this in this text that where this is prophecy being fulfilled, and we can talk about that in just a moment. And and yet the people who and you made a point of this, the people who should have known and would have known these prophecies, because what Herod, the, the, when they go to Herod. Um, well, when Herod calls them, he it says it says doesn't it say that he called like his uh, scribes, his scribes, right? He, um, I'm looking here. Uh, I gotta get back chief priests and chief priests and scribes. <clears throat> so when we're talking about chief priests and we're talking about scribes, and in terms of um, you know what second century Judaism, first first century Judaism, first, first century first century Judaism. Um, these are not like ignorant men when it comes to scripture right i mean these are the guys who would have known all of all of the pentateuch for certain and would have known the talmud and probably been studying all this all their life right Tanakh and all that right right i mean they they know the law and the prophets and especially the scribes because my understanding is with scribes these are guys who are who wrote down the law, right? Is that is that yeah. is that the way you guys understand it? Not yes. only wrote down the law, they would have been like lawyers too in some ways, knowing the ins and outs of the law. So it's not like these guys are ignorant of the prophecies. So but yet um this star appears or this time comes and these things start to fall into place. I mean it starts here. There's clearly going to be more prophecies that are fulfilled, and the guys after the fact really see it. I mean, obviously they put it in the they put it in their gospels, yeah. the gospel accounts, and yet it seems as though over and over the, the 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 people who should have got it don't, and even now. So, 
I don't know. I've not done as much study on 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 Orthodox Jews, you know, modern day Orthodox Jew, Judaism. But like, one thing that I, I I think about and I struggle with sometimes is along the same line. How is it that Orthodox Jews can see the same things I can see? No, see, they've got access to the same prophecies I do, the same narratives that that surround the the life of Jesus, and still not think that. He was the fulfillment of this. Yeah. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, no, I mean, because, and one one theme of Matthew, I would even say the theme of Matthew is to show that Jesus was the promised uh, Old Testament Messiah. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see so many Old Testament references in the book of Matthew, because right. he's writing, you know, he's trying to write to this Jewish audience showing that he is that old, he is that old testament promised messiah and you see things from like Micah in here Jeremiah real real credible prophets in there and they just miss it they are so blinded and really i mean we'd love i mean i'd love to say that i'm surprised but really you look at the Jews in the old testament i can't say that i am surprised to be on because i think of all the way back to when they were with moses he said you are a stubborn and you are a stiff-necked people yeah and he even points to i think it's in deuteronomy 28 29 30 somewhere in that area where moses even basically gets to the point that look the gentiles are going to be god's people eventually mm-hmm. and i think that's one thing we see that's beautiful about this is like the jewish people were well, I mean, it's not beautiful that the Jewish people were apathetic, but you no. do, but you do see that the Gentiles, you have these Gentile wise men, magi, magician, astrologer people, coming and worshiping the king. They've got more. I mean, they're putting much more effort into than right I mean, than this, the Jewish people dude, are. Dude, this gets to a point that you made in your sermon that I thought was really good. Not only do the chief priests and scribes know this, and and they even say, well, he's because Herod says, okay, well, when's he supposed to be born? And they're like, oh, well, you know, when and where? And he's like, oh, it's Bethlehem of Judah, for it's written. And they quote the prophet where it's written. And they supposedly would have known, okay, why, why are you even asking us this, king? Right? Why are you asking us this right now? Oh, well, these guys have shown up, and, and they're asking about, you know, the king of the Jews. And they're like, and you would think, dude, that they, that they, would, they would go, right? They, they would be like, hey, wise men, let's go with you. Let, can we come with you? Because... This is what we've been waiting for. And yet, there's no indication that they go. Yeah, I didn't bring it up, but it makes me wonder. Um, like, And I, I'll just ask you guys. You may, we, we probably won't come to a conclusion here, but like, is it possible that only the Magi saw the star? Like, is that, is that a... Like, did they not see the star? Because that's... To me, after that happens, they get they get on the road right, and then it reappears or whatever it does. Mm-hmm. It goes over the house. At that point, you've just talked with your king. There's this amazing star. And I'm just wondering if it's because, like for me, I'm not an astrologer. I, right. I can look up in the star, at the stars in the sky. I don't know. Diddly. Right. But I'm also not, I don't live in the first century. Right, you're not an astronomer or an astrologer. Yeah, because there's two. Those are two yeah. different studies, right? One studies just the stars, and one studies like the signs of the stars. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, 
Yeah, we're and, not, and we don't have to travel by the stars. Right. We have compasses and GPS. To be honest with you, <laughs> but, well, right. I think I think the text allows for your question seriously because in verse seven it says, "Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and us ascertained uh-huh. from this." Yeah. Ascertain. We're not good at English, if you can tell. From, <laughs> from, from them, at what time the star had appeared. So the way I see that, I don't know that Herod even saw the star because well, he had to ask them when it appeared. Or, I mean, maybe he saw it but didn't know when it started. I don't know. But I think the text allows for, I think the text I does s- allow for that question. Yeah, I suppose it could be that way. I mean, it, yeah. it is interesting that they're the well, only especially ones. Especially the first one. The second one, though. After they've had the conversation, everyone yeah. everyone in the, the room has determined it's in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Then it reappears in Bethlehem. Yeah. How sure. could you be, like, if you saw it, how could you be that apathetic? I don't know. And, and I guess a lot of it has to do with, I mean, okay, so let's be, let's be real. But part, part, part of our, when we read this narrative... Those of us who have been in Sunday school all of our lives and stuff, we've got certain pictures that pop up in our heads, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get the three guys on camels, and you got this ginormous-looking star that's just shining out, you know, brighter than the sun. It's bigger than the moon in most pictures, and it's like you know, and it's right above like the pretty little manger scene and stuff. And I don't know if it would have been that way. It couldn't have been that obvious. I don't think it could. But I think them as astrologers. It's yeah. that obvious to them. Yeah, yeah, but in the way that, not in a way that's like they have supernatural vision and no. see it that way, but that that it, it clearly meant something to them because it says, it actually says here, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with mm. great joy. I mean, that's that's a lot of joy. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, yeah. you can't really say it much bigger than that. They were really, really excited about this particular star. Now, what it looked like uh, in the sky, we don't really know, and, in the, and the Bible doesn't give us a lot of a lot of information about it. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't say a whole lot at all. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned that you know we that this was a prophecy, and it is, and it shows up. And I think you mentioned in Numbers twenty four, it talks about the star. And then Balaam is the one who says, you know, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So this is a pagan, um, pagan oracle, yeah. right? Who's just speaking, um, speaking the words that God's putting in his mouth, mm-hmm. basically. Is this through the donkey or was that Balak? No. So, so it's the same guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's the same guy, but um, this isn't the donkey speaking. To okay. Him. I got. It. Oh, I think it's a, it's the same guy, isn't it? It's the same guy, but Balaam's on the way, and he wants to turn back, and the donkey's like, "No, nah, we got we got to keep going." Okay. Right. Okay. It's the same, yeah. it, but it's the same yeah. guy, donkey. So Balaam Balaam is the guy that's hired to uh, like rain down curses on Israel right. by the king of Moab. Right. And so he, uh, every time he goes to try and do it, though, uh, he just keeps spitting out blessings instead. <laughs> and the king gets really upset with him. But he's like, look, I can't help it. I told you I speak what I speak, you know. And so God is clearly taking control here just the same way he took control of the donkey. And he's speaking through Balaam. And in this speech that he gives, in one of them, he says, a star shall come out of Jacob. And that's the closest we get to 
a prophecy of this of, of this star. Yeah. Because that, the thing, like, when we were talking about this beforehand, like, how in the world do these magi, these wise guys, you know, these, these, these astrologers or whatever, how would they even know about a star and the king of the Jews and all this? And I don't know, dude, I think this is, like, you mentioned it, uh, Balaam might be, the fact that Balaam is a pagan prophet might be pretty key here. Yeah, so my... I brought it up later in the sermon because I'm like, how how are they so attuned to this prophecy but don't know the Bethlehem prophecy? That's a good question. Which is so much more specific. Like yeah. For me, I like I can, I can see that. I like, I read the Bethlehem prophecy and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. that Like, that's easy. Right. So how are they like... How are they so attuned to that portion of the law if they don't know the other part of the law? Mm-hmm. And for me, the answer still lies in the fact that that the of who who the prophecy came from. Mm. This this pagan, uh, I think it was David Platt. I, I think I said this in the sermon. David Platt called Balaam a magician, a seer, oracle, magician, mm-hmm. basically. And so if 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 you're studying this 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 uh, what would we call that this discipline right of and i think it's scientific i think these guys when we call them wise guys i think they are like the scientists of their time mm-hmm. it's just science is a little bit different and they deal in like some of the mystic arts oh, as man, well yeah. and reading re- reading like astrological signs yeah things. yeah sure so um because they know their history and they're smart people and they they're well read, they're like they know this guy's prophecies. Probably things that he said that aren't even about Israel. Right. They just know it. But because it comes from that, and who knows? I mean, this is speculation, but perhaps Balaam said other things that were recorded that also harkened back to this idea of a star coming out of Jacob. Yeah. Maybe he described what the star would be and when it would you know. When you see these two planets align, when you see this and this, you know, this is the time that the scepter is going to come out of Israel. You know, maybe maybe there's more detail to it than what we even have in the Pentateuch. Yeah. Um, and and but that would make sense though, right? Because then uh, what you're saying is 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 good. We I think part of us read this account and think, oh well, they must have had the entirety of the Old Testament. And they must have been studying the Old Testament over in the East. You know, they have a copy of the Old Testament. They're studying it. And they, they come up upon, upon this, and this is how they know. But it sounds like they didn't have the Old Testament and rather just had maybe the prophecies of this Balaam. Yeah. And that would make sense to me. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. There's a few clues uh, in the text, actually, that I didn't bring out. But, like, the fact that they say the, the, the question they ask, which is so profound, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Mm-hmm. Which also comes from Balaam's prophecy. It's mm-hmm. right after right, the star right. part. The, the scepter. The scepter yeah. should rise out of Israel. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at that. And uh, we have we, uh, the part where they talk about... Um, we have come to wor- we have seen his star and have come to worship him. Uh-huh. That's like a you can almost see that as a paraphrase of the yeah of the yeah, prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's a star and we have come to worship him. Right. The king star. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just, <clears throat> I think somehow some way they have access to that prophecy. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I 
I'm I'm a I'm 100 on board with that. I, I, again, we don't we don't know it for certain, but if you're trying to make sense out of all of this, yeah. that to me that that that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like I I I think that that would explain why these guys show up and why they bring. Help me, help me understand this. Outside of where it talks about the scepter coming out of Israel, the Messiah passages are not always about uh, a king, are they? No. No, they're Sometimes not. Sometimes it's a deliverer. Servant. Yeah. Servant. Yeah, like Isaiah 53. Shepherd, which yeah. was in the Micah 5.2. Yeah. Yeah, like a guy riding on a donkey, I think. Well, like I, I mean, riding. I know we have the thing about, you know, the, the, the scepter shouldn't depart from David's throne and all like that. Like in Genesis 49. Right. And, yeah. But I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is it would have been commonplace to think that the Messiah, when he comes, is also going to be king. Would that be a commonplace thought among, among the Jewish people in first century Judaism? Yeah, it has to be. I mean... Not exclusively king, but mm-hmm. the whole Davidic line thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that makes sense. Especially after David. And well, I mean, he's got to be born in Judah because it's the or uh, from the tribe of Judah because David's from the tribe of Judah. See, and, but then it then it then it brings up the question. Okay, I mean, does Herod think that he's supposed to, that the Messiah's going to be king? Herod's a Jew. Well, Herod actually Herod's a Jew. I didn't say this. Herod's from, he's an Edomite. Edomite, my bad. Oh, okay, that's right. So he's kind of, he is a Jew. He's sympathetic to the Jews, but he's kind of a half Jew. I don't know what you call it. Right, 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 right. For our listeners, you said the, uh, was it? Edomites. The Edomites, they originate from Esau, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So it all goes back to Jacob and Esau. And they have sort of a love-hate relationship with Israel throughout the Old Testament. Well, and I think if you look at that, uh, if you look at that, Esau even tried to kill Jacob. Mm. And even even back then, you can already see Satan trying to work to make sure that the Messiah doesn't come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And here you even see, like, for lack of a better term, a... Esau later down the road and a Jacob later on down the road mm-hmm. where somebody from Esau's line is trying to kill somebody from Jacob's line. Yeah. That's so good. you can see how Satan is working in here uh, too. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because otherwise, if, if you think that, that Herod is, I mean, the the Caesar Augustus obviously thinks that Herod is Jewish enough, yeah. right? Because he's, he's put him in as a ruler over his over his people. Um He's established him as a governor of of sorts, and so um, I, you would think if if he were Jewish, that uh, he wouldn't want to kill the Messiah. I mean, this is this is this is the guy who's supposed to come and set things to rights, right, and yeah. get rid of all the Roman uh, Roman stuff. So the fact that 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 Herod clearly wants this guy dead. Uh, tell you know, might might bring his Jewishness into question, mm-hmm. and then that would explain a little bit too. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's let's move on. Um, so uh, we've talked about that. Um, uh, let's see. Move on here because I'm looking at I'm, I'm thumbing back through your text uh, that you that you gave. Yeah. So yeah, so the wise men get their instructions, they go on their way. The star shows up again, and we kind of talked about that, and they get really happy about that. 
And they go in the house. They see the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Um, you, you, you said in your message, I remember you saying, I don't want to get into like the, these gifts and <clears throat> whether they have meaning or not. Um, but they're, they're, they're clearly, I mean, I've, I've heard that there's meaning in those gifts, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think you quoted, was it Psalm? Uh, I quoted, yeah, Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60. Yeah, Isaiah 60, Isaiah 66, they shall bring gold and frankincense. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, is that is that considered prophetic um, text? There, I mean, it, 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 it at least even if it's not, it, it at least shows. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, in the context of Isaiah sixty, it's definitely talking about the Messiah. Right. Yeah. And even with uh, Murr, I think David Platt brings out in the same commentary that uh, Jeremiah was reading that uh, the Murr could have um, foreshadowed his death because yeah. if you yeah. uh, if you remember in a uh, with Joseph of Arimathea, when he goes and asks Pilate for uh, the body of Jesus to put mm-hmm. him in his tomb, he anoints him with myrrh. Right. So it could be a, and I say could be because we don't necessarily know if it is for certain or not, but it could be a foreshadowing of his death. Too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I like the fact that you went through the timeline and kind of demonstrated to everybody that, that this isn't baby Jesus uh, in the manger. When they when they show up, like they they, they oh yeah the, the wise men are not coming to a manger, um, but they are coming to Bethlehem. Yeah. So that brings up an interesting interesting point. Have they gone? So when when you were doing the research on your commentary and stuff, this is more of a this is more of a Jonathan preacher question. That's curious because this gets in. I'm curious. Um, do most scholars think that like? Okay, almost all scholars and, and theologians agree that he's not a baby. Yeah. This isn't at the this isn't at baby Jesus' birth. Yeah. And and most people don't think it was after even even before his circum like before his circumcision. This would have been probably after his circumcision. Yeah. Um, and he's clearly at a house because we know it says they went into the house, and we know that in the birth narrative. Um, they don't have a house. They don't have a place to stay. But so this is sometime after that. How far after that? And if and and if it is far after, why is it back in Bethlehem? Why are they back in Bethlehem? That's not their hometown. Yeah. So, um, well, first off, they've had a baby, which changes a whole lot, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you leave your hometown. You've had a baby. You're now married. They're like, they're restarting a new family. Uh-huh. And you know, the birth narrative is centered around the census, which right. is why there's no room in the end, right? Right. But Bethlehem actually is a small town. Most people estimate only about a thousand people live there at this time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they couldn't find a house after that point. It was just that night. Right. And maybe a few nights after that, right? Because of the census. And the census is a big deal because Bethlehem is where David was born. Or right. David David was. Yeah. Born. Yeah. So uh What's the city of David, right? Yeah, yeah. it's the city of David. Um which I don't know if that means that's where he grew up, where he became king, or where he was born, probably all the same thing. Either way it's called the city of David. But uh yeah, so they they're living in a house, uh upwards of some people say he could have been close to three. 
But all of that comes from the fact that Herod kills the the two years old and younger. Right. So that you could be two years old in 300 days or whatever. Right. So you're almost three. Right. And they kill you. Right. And the reason I bring up the whole population is because most people think that that would have affected only about 10 to 20 families. Mm. So when we think of he kills all the babies, it stinks. Even one dying stinks. That's terrible. Yeah. Right. But probably only about 10 to 20 families were affected. Mm. Like this, you could do this in one night. You, right. you don't have to spend days and days ravaging houses. Right, right. You could go show up unannounced, kill them all in a couple hours, and, and be done with it, which would stink if you have that task. That'd be awful. But Right. Um, so, yeah, most people think he was around two. Yeah. Not so- over one, but... But around two. So do most scholars think that Mary and Joseph never left Bethlehem? That they, yeah. they that they had a baby there and decided, hey, let's just pitch our tent here. Yeah, just so because yeah. I I was thinking probably renting a house, probably not owning it. That, okay, so that that kind of makes sense. So because there's a and part especially of, with the new gift, right? I was curious whether or not. Um, like they had to try whether they did another census like a few years later, and then they, or later they were doing yeah. a census annually, and they were to annually make this trip. Yeah. But, to, but most most scholars think that they actually just decided, okay, well, we're just going to live in Bethlehem now. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Instead but of traveling after, back, instead of traveling back to their home, and or they would have had to gone back to they, they came from. Would they come from Jerusalem? They came. Uh, that's a good point. I, I know after after Egypt, they want to go back to uh, his hometown. Right. Not no, they want to go back to Bethlehem. Sorry, I should know this. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, that that's a good point. Um let's see. I'm looking at it too here. Uh, well, it says in I don't know if this helps wrong, but in Luke one in verse twenty six, it talks about how in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and a virgin named Mary. So it seems like they were they were originally from Galilee. Yeah. Okay. But so why does he want to go to Judea though? Because look at Matthew two in my in, in the text from this Sunday. Matthew two twenty two. Two twenty two. Yeah. This is after Herod's died. He wants to go back, but he. When we heard scared. that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, so he goes to the district of Galilee. Huh. Well, it's possible that so maybe I don't know where he's. Maybe he's from Judea. Well, maybe no. Maybe he's right. Maybe Blake's right. Maybe they originated in Nazareth. Like that's that's his hometown, right? Yeah. But now they've moved to Bethlehem. They're living there in Bethlehem in the area of Judea, and then they had to flee to Egypt, and now they want to go back to their home that they that they had just built in Judea, and they're like, uh, we can't go back there because. You know, we're afraid to go back there. Yeah. So then they go back to the only place they've ever known, which is Nazareth. Yeah. That would make sense. And I think even too with that, and I know this is like the obvious answer, but you do see God's sovereign hand working in this because they do go back to Nazareth, to Galilee. That way, the prophecy can be fulfilled here in these coming verses that He will right. come out of Nazareth. Although it's funny because I mean, the, the Matthew mentions it as a prophecy, and we talk about you know the three of us were talking about this yeah. this morning. Um, when it talks about that prophet, the, the it's hard to find a prophecy that says he'll come out of Nazareth. Because um, there is none. Because there is none. Right. Um, and and uh, 
Um, I think one of the things you said you found was that Isaiah that Isaiah fifty three three passage that says something like he was despised or rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, yeah. and that this idea of despising um, that Nazareth was considered bad and despised, yeah. and 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 so there's there's some who say that okay, well, uh, you know, it's basically like. He's gonna be a sad guy from sad town, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so. Um, and the reason I like that interpretation the most is because in verse twenty-three, it says, "So that what was spoken by the prophets, plural, mm. might be fulfilled." Mm. There's another very popular interpretation uh, that says that the word for Nazarene is uh, in the original is extremely similar to the word for branch. Right, that's what Blake was talking about this morning. But if that's the case, that's one prophet. Oh, it's just one prophet that, that says talks that? about the branch. Oh, there's a there's a specific prophecy. Uh, well, Isaiah does. Yeah. See, I I think Jeremiah does as well too. He might. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, that's the two most popular. Uh, yeah. Interpretations. Okay. One, one is that the, um, the the one that I said, not that it, not that I I hold to it necessarily. It's just that there's this general theme in the prophets that the this Messiah would be rejected, would be outcast, would be kind of a man among sorrows, or however you want to say it. So to to make my point, I just went to the most popular prophecy, which is Isaiah fifty three. It says that he was he was uh, well. You just quoted it, and so uh, and then knowing what we know about Nazareth in the New Testament, uh, that uh, um, one of the, one of the disciples even was like, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Right. And when you look in history in your history books, you'll see that Nazareth just was poor. It wasn't very. I mean, it wasn't esteemed as much. I'm not trying to say I don't think it was like uh, criminal, like it wasn't very criminal, just right. more rural, right. kind of left kept to themselves, nothing special, right? Uh, not on a trade route or anything like that. Right, right. Um, one, one other one other thing about this first this first part of your message that dealt with the wise men worshiping Jesus is the fact that they worship him. There are a few. Um, there, I mean, I, I can't think of a lot of times in which Jesus is worshipped. Um, in his lifetime, now he's worshipped quite a bit after his resurrection. Yeah. But worshipped in his in in his in his lifetime, and it's interesting that his we won't say his life because again he's probably two or whatever, right? Yeah. But that it starts with this idea of, um, or at least the narrative begins with this idea of people worshiping him. Um, and surely, they're, sure they're worshiping him as king. Not as Lord necessarily, not as God. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it doesn't say they worshiped him as God. Um, but just just the act of worship, um, I think, is, is interesting here. Um, yeah, I mean, they do the only thing they would they would know to do to a superior. Mm. Now, because, I mean, it was, it was common then, you know, that then, even kings would give other kings gifts. Right, that but, was a common thing. So you mentioned this in the in the thing and never really said it. But did you did you find out why the song says "We Three Kings"? No, but in church tradition, it's just tradition because of the gifts. But I found out that in church tradition, they actually named them. 
Yeah, there's like Balchazar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. There's three names of them. Melchizar. Dude, that doesn't even happen until the 12th century, 1200s. <laughs> they just who's so just like, pull these names they, out yeah. of a hat or something? I mean, that's just kind of how tradition is. Like, right. So, and, in my opinion, that's just not how people traveled. I think someone reading that in the first century is like, no, there's no way three dudes by themselves. Right. Like, cause you would, if you're that rich, you're gonna have bodyguards and like, uh, I mean, you know, a, so we a don't, caravan of people. So we don't think that they're kings necessarily. I think the kings thing comes from those Old Testament prophecies, wanting to kind of put them into kings, and the fact that they come a long distance, they bring. Really expensive gifts. So you're thinking about like the, the, the deal where it talks about coming from Sheba and all yeah, that. Like yeah. it kind of refers to them as and the Midians. Right. They do come bringing very expensive gifts. Yeah. These are not things that they would have been easily, um, you know, acquired. But even if they are kings, why would three, why would three kings just come, come without a caravan? Right or without bodyguards, and the right. reason or, we see them, and, on we don't, and, 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 and to be fair, we don't know that there's three of them. No, there could have been more than three. It could have been less. Could have been less than. It could have been two. Well, two. It couldn't right. have been. It one. is plural, so we do know. There's at least yeah, there were two. They were twins, <laughs> <laughs> and and they all go in the house. No, no. At least, I mean, they all fit in the house. I assume. Yeah, or they're or they're lined up outside. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's one at a time. Mary so Joseph, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Cause I didn't is, even get the house ready for this. <laughs> She's like, so, I also don't know. Uh, this is going to bring up a whole lot of other stuff that we probably don't want to talk about. But like, I don't even. I, I would say Jesus doesn't know this happens. So, yeah. So I don't know. I assume Mary. This this story is coming from Mary's perspective. Yeah. Because I don't know how Matthew would know. I think I, growing up, I always assumed Jesus told him. No. I'm like, no, Jesus is too. Yeah. Jesus would know anything from the Old Testament about what's going on. Right. But like, he wouldn't even remember Herod. But it, but it's possible though, much like and I'm sure your your mom does this with you, like. Jeremiah, you did the cutest thing when you were two years old. Yeah. You, you know, you, you you walked over there to the to the toilet and drank out of it, and yeah. you know, and so now you know you know well, the story. The story yeah. Right, you know the story of when you were two and you drank from the toilet, yeah. right? I mean, you didn't do yeah. that, by the way, but yeah. you, you get what I'm saying. And so it's possible. I mean, look, this is a landmark moment. You yeah. try, you know, like oh, th- let me tell you the time when these men came and they gave us extravagant gifts. Yeah. We were so poor and. You know they brought gold and and yeah. and you know they're, they're, they've kept they've kept the vessels that the frankincense and myrrh came in all yeah. all, the, all this time. Then and, and and every time they look at those things, you know they they're they're reminded and they tell the story. And so Jesus probably might have known it, but not he wouldn't have known it like you know what you had for breakfast this morning. Yeah, right that kind of way. Um, but that's a good point. I also like the fact because. So much of this story, and we can talk about this now because I really I like this. So much of the story, um, I think, harkens back to Exodus. Oh, yeah. When you go back to Exodus, um, mm. there are bits and pieces of this story that that are sort of replayed out, right? Um, for for instance, um, the, the the idea that that um, 
God uses the Egyptians when the when the Israelites do leave. He they they plunder the Egyptians. They get all the gold and stuff so that it it gives them divine provision for their journey into the wilderness and for them to be able to later worship God properly, right? And so it seems to me that while these gifts are are wonderful and all, um, I think that part of this, and you mentioned this, is divine provision for them to make a trip to Egypt that they're going to have to make. It's ironic because... In the in in the Exodus story, they're getting they're getting provisions to get out of Egypt. In this story, they get provisions to go to Egypt. Yeah. Well, and too with this passage, you see that uh, Jesus is the greater uh, and newer Moses. Oh yeah, as well. Like you said, going back to uh, the Exodus, because there's a lot of things that kind of happen in Moses' life that you kind of see are resembled in Jesus' early life here in this story. Yep. As well, and like I said, in um, just a hermeneutic thing, like how you read and interpret the Bible, it the Bible makes so much more sense when you know why the author is writing mm-hmm. and showing that there's so much Old Testament that you need to know and showing that he is that right. uh, Old Testament Messiah. And you see in here he's showing that he's, that Matthew's showing that Jesus is the, new, the newer Moses. And it makes a lot more sense seeing Jesus' deity and the promise when once you know why Matthew's writing. Yeah, so you mentioned some some other ways in which this sort of harkens back. Obviously, you have the Herod killing all the the Hebrew males that were two and younger. I mean, you have Pharaoh who does the same thing. Right. In in the um, in the in the in the Exodus account, you've got a moment where Moses, as a, as an adult male, has to flee Egypt mm-hmm. because he's a he's a fugitive, um, and he goes into Midian, and and while he's in Midian, he lives there for forty years, and about the time he's eighty years old is when he has that moment with God on the mountain, and you know God calls him to the, to to this divine calling, of what he's going to have him do, and one of the ways that that God tells him to when 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 he's ready to go, he tells him. Okay, go because the men who wanted to kill you mm. are no longer alive. Mm. And here, mm-hmm. um, after after Herod makes his proclamation, he's going to kill these people. Joseph is warned in a dream to flee. This time, to again, it's kind of weird because he's fleeing to Egypt, where Moses fled out of Egypt. Joseph is taking his family to Egypt, but in Egypt, here's the deliverer. Right, same same thing. God is protecting the deliverer. He protects Moses as the deliverer in Midian. Now he's protecting Jesus as the greater Moses in Egypt. And there's there's word, once the threat is done, you can go back now. And then so so there's so much of this, the story that that so so the deliverer then is able to go back to the area where he's going to perform deliverance, right? Where where the deliver where the delivering act is going to happen. In Moses' case it's going to be in Egypt. In Jesus' case it's going to be in Judea. And that going back to our conversation about why the Jews were so apathetic, you would think that once they saw that even afterwards, okay, maybe they didn't go at first, but even afterwards, like why is there no like public recognition from them of like, hey, look, the Lion King, this scepter is fully born. Because mm. you see so many uh, parallels and how the story from Moses correlates with Jesus. It's like, where's the Jews in all this? Yeah. Oh, wait, they're trying to kill them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And that doesn't really change much in his whole life. Yeah. If we're honest. Yeah. But, you know, this gets to really the application part of this. And, and I know, you know, um, 
just in talking to you afterwards, I know you said that you're like, you know, I think all of us are this way. We, we want to, I mean, there are times where we can do messages that are just solely focused on, you know, discipleship type messages, right? Messages are, that are for people who are already Christians. But especially on a Sunday morning, you always want to try and bring the gospel in. And it's kind of hard here because, okay, where's the gospel at in this? Well, we talked about how Jesus is a greater Moses. I mean, yeah. And, um, and, and, and so there you can see it for sure. But I actually liked how you went all the way back even to this prophecy about um, that, that was surrounding the Rama. The Rama. Uh-huh. Yeah. A voice was heard in Rama weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because there are no more. Talking about how the this mass murder that Herod commits mm-hmm. um, that that it brings about great sorrow for everyone there. But then that then the, the Matthew is is connecting that back to Jeremiah's prophecy about about the exile, right? Yeah. And the reason for me, you want to ask the question, because of what you just said about Exodus. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would he say this This fulfills Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. when it clearly would fulfill Exodus with Mo- Moses' time? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so you got to ask the question, why? Why does he quote from Jeremiah 31? And I, I didn't make that clear enough, but I wanted to show, like, well, let's go back to the context, try to find out why. And so... Uh, I think it's Platt. I know we quoted Platt a lot in his commentary. He, he, he wrote, wrote a killer commentary. Yeah, it's a really, really good really commentary did. on Matthew. But he said, um, he said, the first quote, um, or the the, the Egypt quote mm-hmm. out of Egypt, I call my son, mm-hmm. is is Jesus fulfilling what he called the new Exodus. It's mm-hmm. the start of the new Exodus. Mm-hmm. The Jeremiah quote is the start of the. The release of the the exile, mm-hmm. and so why, that's why he would go to Jeremiah thirty one, and in Jeremiah thirty one at the end, that's the very first place he talks about the new covenant. Right, and so it, you know it, it, this brings up a, 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 a greater point, which is that we tend to think of the Bible um, when we think about the whole of the Bible, we often think about it in 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 terms that we would apply to any other novel, right? So um, there's the central character, and we're watching the central character kind of go through the through through his paces, you know, and it's from it's chronological from start to finish. And yeah, there's some things that kind of um, there's some recurring themes and things like that. But what's interesting about what what the the story of the Bible that begins even all the way back in the garden is that it's essentially the same story being told over and over and over and over again, pointing to how Jesus will be the greatest fulfillment of this story that's being told over and over. And the story that's told over and over again is this story of deliverance. How we um, disobey, um, we find ourselves in exile, helpless and hopeless, but God sends a deliverer to rescue us from our exile and to bring us through. Over and over and over that story is told. It starts in the garden. We see it at the ark. We see it, you know, you see it all the way through Judges. Um, you see it, you know, um, over and over. That I mean, all the way through Israel's early history, the exile, 
And then it comes to full fruition in Jesus. Yep. And, and so that's that's important. And so part of part of what we're talking about here, even with this passage, is this is this is doing both ends. So it's saying, okay, look, we're going to look back at this story of of, of a rescue from ex, from from um, from the, a rescue or a deliverance. But then also look at this story of deliverance because. And and this and this story, you're right. This both of those stories have have at their heart or at their at their end point is is hope for a better future. Mm-hmm. For the Israelites coming out of Egypt, it's gonna be hope for a better land. God's gonna actually give them land of their own, right? For the exiles, it's gonna be hope for this new covenant. And and you're right. It, he actually says and you quoted Jeremiah 31, 17, there is hope for your future declares the Lord because and he says that after he says don't don't weep don't be sad because there's still hope mm-hmm. and and not and and you know and then I think you brought it up later and I really love this passage uh, Jeremiah 31 31 through 34 where he says behold the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt there's that story again mm-hmm. right my covenant that they broke yeah. though I was their husband declares the Lord um, and then he says, um, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And that, that is there's there's a reason why you you quote the Rama passage is that because that's what we're celebrating at this incarnation right I mean that is this is the deliverance story the this is God um, doing the supreme deliverance right it's just it's so good yeah. yeah and I don't mean to be harsh to to anything you've done in your your previous study but. Who's read this passage and just skipped over that part? Yeah. I mean, just so much. And I think I think there's so much significance there. I think some people might think I just quoted it because it's from Jeremiah or whatever. I, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Jeremiah, do that, like, that's a signature of your messages. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me quote from Jeremiah. <laughs> honestly, I don't even like the book of Jeremiah much. Just, I mean, I don't it like is, that. Pro- he's, he's, he maybe might be top 10, but he's not top five of my prophets. <laughs> he's not on your Mount Rushmore <laughs> <Yeah>. prophets. <laughs> I mean, just to be honest. But uh, that, that, was, that was all a joke to say, look, like when the Bible quotes the Bible, we should take note and, and go back and look at the context around I it agree. and see like, like, what is he trying to say here? Yeah. Especially when he quotes something, and you're like, "Why didn't he just quote the Moses when, when Pharaoh kills all the Hebrew children? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a better fulfillment passage? Yeah. Or talk about the Passover when the the angel of death or whatever you want to call it um, kills the 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 Egyptian those mm-hmm. who aren't covered by the blood, basically. Right. So yeah, I. I when I saw that, I was just like, yeah, I mean, this is like, it's key. It's super important to talk about is, what he's and, talking about. And this is the gospel, right? Yeah. And, I, and I know, you, you know, you were talking about how you felt like you kind of have to force the gospel into yeah. this message. But I don't think, I, I don't feel like this is forced at all, Jeremiah. I think this passage, especially because the quote from, from, from Jeremiah, yeah. it, it really is about the gospel. 
It's about it's it's this story of deliverance. Well, it really is, and you know, I don't think the Old Testament. I don't really think that the Old Testament teaches the Old Covenant. I think it shows what's going to happen in the like the New Covenant, like what we have here with Jeremiah thirty-one, and mm-hmm. so and that is gospel, right? You know, I go back to I think in the latter part of Deuteronomy and. Um, Moses is basically telling the people, like, there's going to be a day you will obey. There's going to be a day that uh, you will not be stubborn and stiff-necked when mm-hmm. it'll be in your hearts. And what he's saying is that there's going to be a time where somebody's going to come and deliver you not from a land or a people, but from sin. Yeah. And yeah. your hearts will be uh, saw, and that uh, heart of stone you have will be a heart of flesh. We see that in Ezekiel. And so I think... This is just a great, it's, well, basically we see the incarnation, you know. We don't have the gospel if we don't have the story of Jesus coming to earth, becoming a man for us, to intercede for us. Yeah. And to live a perfect life for us. Yeah. And die for us. I, I, I like it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the time here, fellas, and I think we're coming close to the end, and we are. Um, but just some final thoughts on on application of, of this passage because you know, we've dealt with a lot more of the sort of theological in, in this particular discussion. But there is, I think there is a place for application, and I think you found it in, at the end of your message where you said, which one of these groups do you, are you really going to find yourself as? Are you, are you going um, to be a Herod who is uh, going to do everything you can to squash out um, the Messiah from your life, right? Everything you can, even if it means harming everyone around you in order to do so, like causing that much, like I hate this so much that I'm going to destroy all the relationships around me. I'm going to do everything that I can to keep God out of my life. I mean, then there are those people, right? And then there are those who are, and I think you're right, I think there's far more of the second group of the, like the scribes and the, 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 the chief priests who are religious, who know the stuff, but who just don't seem to care. Mm. That it's weird that they don't care, but they just don't seem to care. Their head knowledge hasn't turned into heart knowledge. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they're not the ones, and you, you, you put it this way, Jeremiah, and I liked it. They're not the ones who are saying, we'll go wherever, we'll give whatever, just you know, whatever it takes to worship. That's that's what we're that's what we're about. Yeah. And I think that there is, and I do think that there is sort of this cloud of apathy over American Christianity. Mm-hmm. That um, that is is sort of spread. It feels it feels like for so many. The stuff that we're talking about is just that. It's just stuff we talk about. It's not stuff that really matters in your day-to-day life. Like, this doesn't matter in my job. This stuff that we're talking about here, it doesn't really matter in the way that I uh, interact with my children. This doesn't really have anything to do with when I, you know, how I, how I you know, go about spending my money uh, or, you know, what goods I'm going to buy or, or where, where I'm going to go or what I'm going to, you know, it only matters on Sundays and only in, in so much as, you know, I've got my tickets secured for heaven and I'm going to see my loved ones one day. Um, and, or 
I'm fulfilling my community obligation or my family obligation to be in a building on Sunday morning. And I just, I, I, I feel that. I don't know if you guys feel that or not, but I feel that. I even feel that at Christmas. Does you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and I, I'll be, I'll be really honest with you guys. Even as a pastor, um, that cloud is so oppressive that it's hard to fight against it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I find it, I find it infiltrating my own life, and I don't want it to be that way. This is, this is, if this stuff is true, and we believe that it is, this is profound, but it really should impact us. Like, really should impact me. All those things I just mentioned. Man, it should color all that stuff. It should be like wearing glasses that you cannot take off. And that everything you see, you see through this lens. You see through the lens of this story of deliverance yeah. and what it means to you. But I'm afraid that we just we take those glasses on and off too much, man. And I think we've with that apathy, we've we've lost our sense of purpose. Like our per what the real purpose for our Christian life is. Yeah. And I mean, the Christmas time is a great time. A, I cannot think of a better time outside of Easter than when people are really open to having a great gospel conversation. I actually think Christmas is the best. Because, and, because right. I, think, I think everybody celebrates Christmas, and everybody even, if you listen to, um, even if you listen to some atheists, um, uh, there's, a, there's a really great lecture. I, I can't remember the, the guy's name off the top of my head. Um, well-known atheist, and he talks about how uh, they have a Christmas carol singing party at his house every year. And he said, we don't sing Frosty the Snowman or any of that garbage. He said, we sing the old old carols. Um, even if we don't believe what they say, we sing them, and we sing them with gusto as though we do believe them. Mm. And it's like, mm. even people who don't believe, who don't uh, subscribe to this, or maybe even see it as mythology still are well acquainted with why it, what this is all about. And I think... And most I'm, of them are. I and mean, I'm, surely there's some who aren't, but most of them are. And I'm not trying to sound like mystical but when I say this, but the fact that Christ came and became a man for us, I think that's one reason Christmas time is so wonderful yeah. for man, for mankind. I'm not, like I'm saying, I'm not saying, well, that just makes us feel good or anything, but I'm, like, in a mystical way. But I think there's... I think the incarnation of Jesus, you know, permeates and penetrates mm. the season right now. Yeah, yeah, because of how radiant and how awesome it is that God became a man for yeah, us. Yeah, the people who talk about like the magic of Christmas, right? Yeah, and it does feel like this sort of magical season, even outside of the Santa Claus stuff and all that. It just feels like there's something different about this time of year. There's something different about the thing that it, we're compelled to give. We're compelled to. To the people who don't even think about gifts of charity will be super charitable during this time, right? I think that there's something that you can't escape about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so, I think, and I guess a better way of, to say what I said was just the transcendence of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No, I no, think I part of that is too, and I don't mean to be over spiritual, but I've been thinking about this recently. Christmas, even for those who aren't Christian, is one of the only times where there's a lot of intergenerational interaction. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if you don't have kids for yourself, like, I know Jeff Jeff, Jeff uh, never had kids. And so, but I know he, he takes, 
he, he makes it a priority to make sure he gets his nieces and his nephews mm-hmm. gifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to be honest, everyone, everyone makes sure the kids, we may not, we may not get the bomb on the street, a gift or whatever, but we make sure the kids in the homes are taken care of and they get gifts and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, there's a lot of intergenerational, mm-hmm. especially a focus on the next generation, making sure they have a good Christmas. And yeah, I think that plays into the, magic of christmas or the the spirit of christmas like this this season of giving right uh, like you said so so i think you know our challenge maybe as as christians as we enter into december here and we begin this this time of celebration is really to try and use this as a launching pad to break out of that cloud of apathy mm. um, that's good you know let's let's use this time as as an opportunity to recapture the joy of our the joy of God's salvation, um, you know this is a great time to do that, and hopefully we can help you with that because we're going to be looking at other passages that have to do with Christmas and the incarnation as we go along. In fact, this coming Sunday, I'm I'm looking. Um, I think I'm going to be looking at Isaiah nine six. Um, and, uh, you know, the for a child be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. There's so much in that. Uh, in that, And I, I, I don't know yet whether I'm going to try and tackle all that in one message or whether I'm going to break that apart and look at that over the course of the next couple of weeks. Because you um, just listed about six sermons, right? Right, I know, I know. <laughs> so there's a part of me that's like, maybe we should make this into a series as opposed to just doing, um, uh, you know, doing all that at once because there's so much to unpack in that. But um, I, I want to specifically look at, um, with this, and kind of just in the conversation we've been having, fellas, is, okay, there's meaning for this prophecy for... For Israel and for that time at the incarnation, but then that prophecy is a prophecy for all time, and so that prophecy should be applied to you where you're at as well, and like where you are now. Is he is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your money God? Is he your eternal Father? Is he your Prince of Peace? And what does that even mean when we say those things? That's kind of what I want to look at. So anyway, that's just a sneak peek at what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks um, and at least next week. Um, so look forward to you tuning in then. Thank you for tuning in today. And uh, we'll, we'll sign off here. So uh, we will see you on the next one. So long.